away. Imagine that, not having to work, living in a garden, the most beautiful place, eat, eat the choicest of foods, had everything. Now, don't, don't some of us wish we had everything? We say, if I had just a little bit more money, you get a raise. If I didn't have a pay raise, I'd be happy. You get the pay raise, you're happy for about six months, and you want another pay raise. Or you want another job. Because those things really don't satisfy. And the picture here is they had it all. Right? And, you know, at God's creation, Adam must have been buffed, perfect man. Eve must have been a 10 plus. Right? They had it all. Nonetheless, they wanted more. That, that nature in man. So until Christ returns, man will be concerned with acquiring and managing possessions. If you look at your life, that's what you think about most. Every single day, some of you, every single hour, what am I going to do with what I got? Or can I get more? Or how am I going to pay this? Or how am I going to do that? How, 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 how? Our resources, directly or indirectly, will cause tension. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Let me say it again. Our resources will directly or indirectly cause tension, family friction, strife, anger, frustration. That's, that's the toil of mankind. See, but if we want to see God's best, how many want to see God's best? God established certain principles that'll make you get there. He established basic principles for the management of all that you are. Not just material wealth, but the management of your life, the management of your children, the management of your job, your schooling, whatever it is. He's, he's given us principles. Christians, this is a fact, no way around it, cannot experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit until they surrender ownership of their lives to Christ. And people say, well, I love the Lord and, and I've given my life to God. And everybody is very, very, uh, they know that's the right thing to say, right? And God will, will let you talk like that, talk a big talk, but he'll put you in a position where you're going to have to prove it. The proof is in the pudding. You ever heard that, right? You know, P-U-D-D-I-N-G, right? But really, the proof is in the pudding, P-U-T-T-I-N-G, what you put in. The proof is in the pudding. See, converts cannot experience peace in the area of finance until they have surrendered total control of their life to God in this area. So you must accept your position, and that's the key. A Christian is called a what? Steward. So everything you have, my, my grandbaby, my children, my vehicle, my house, anything I have, God has given it to me to manage it. God's the owner. I'm the manager. Right? A steward is one who manages another's resources. Each of us is a manager, not the owner. Now, here's where it gets difficult. Because I say, you're a manager, you're not the owner. And then you'll say, but I got the title to my car. No, no. You're the manager, not the owner. Because if you, if you, that title is to your car, granted, but God has another title. And hopefully your name is on it. The Bible says our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the title you want to be on. 
So you go ahead and keep your, your card title. I want to be on that title. You get to choose where your name rests. God is the owner and we are, in, are the manager according to his plan. All the promises of God has, has made regarding his blessing in this area are predicated on the principle that we give up ownership. All the promises. Ownership. You know, it was a difficult thing when you experience this when my daughter was getting married. And, I, and it was like, everybody's all excited. You know, they're, they're having their wedding and the bridal shower and the practice and they're going to dinner and everybody's all excited. But I had gotten past it. I was thinking about, dang, she's going to leave me and she's going to have to submit to that dude. You know what I'm saying? I said, I'm going to have to give my girl up. In other words, she's going to have to listen to him before she listens to me. So that was like hit me, and I, and I got bum kicked. So they're all, you want to go to, she, my wife goes, you want to go to the practice? I go, no, I don't want to go to practice. I'm going to go to stinking practice. Why not? I want to go to, I'm, if I'm going to give my daughter away, I'm going to do it one time. I ain't going to practice. <laughs> Man, I was like, I was bum kicked. Why? Because I was having to, and I know I didn't own her, but you know what I'm saying? I'm her dad. And I was like, man, I was giving this, my daughter to this dude. Man, I didn't want to give it to her. I wanted to sock him. No, no, but I, I couldn't do that. But I, I, then I think about that. I think of, you know, how we are. Because God says, if you want me to lead and guide you, then you have to give up ownership. Of everything, not just your daughter, not just your baby, grandbaby, not just, but everything, anything within your control, you have to give up ownership. And if you don't, then you really have said, I don't really want God to, to be my God. I want him to be, you know, my, my, my counselor when I, when I need it, but I'll call you when I need you, God. You just stay there, you know. Let, let, let you know some God is God. He is not the genie from Aladdin's lamp that'll come when you rub the belly. Or the lamp, he's not. And see, many Christians think that God's a genie. I need you, God. And then you, boom. Yes, do you need me? God's not a genie. See, we have to understand, no, he doesn't come when you need him. You have to need him all the time, give everything to him, and he will be with you always. He doesn't come to you, he's with you. And that's different. God, I need you. Wait a minute, if you don't need God, if he's with you, he's with you. How do you ensure that? You have to give your wealth to him. And again, don't confuse wealth with just your paycheck. That's nothing. Especially some of your paychecks are probably real low. I see some of your tithes. That must, you must not get paid anything. <laughs> Man, you better change jobs or something. What is wealth when we talk about wealth? See, wealth is a proper attitude, or let's say what you have to have is a proper attitude towards what you have. That is wealth. It's not the material, the money, it's the attitude that you have with these things. Right? So when you look at God's will, you, got, you can say, okay, I'm wealthy. How does God express his will through me? Does he express his will through you? So you have to ask your question. You go, well, how does he? Well, I come and worship him. That, that's not, no, no, no. That's not God's will. That's something you should do. That's your worship. Does, does, is God's will for the world expressed through you? Or do you just come to church and sing with the, with the great band we have and the worship team? 
See, how you handle what you have, who you are, determines it. And it's all about an attitude. Because some people, they, they love their money. There was a chief accountant of one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. J. John D. Rockefeller, senior. You guys all heard of him? Even if you got an F in history, everybody heard of John D. Rockefeller, senior. And they asked his chief accountant, how much money did John D. Rockefeller leave? We know he was immensely wealthy, this man asked. And the accountant said this, he left everything. Everything. See, the pharaohs try to take it with them. That's why you have these temples and you have these mummies, right? And they try to take all their wealth with them. But I don't care how hard you try, you can't take anything with you. Yet we fight for these and we fight for these and we fight for, we fight for it. Why? Because we think what? We're going to take it with us? Remember, I, I did that example. I'm going to use this cord and take it off. Put it right here. I want you to have this picture as I'm going. Imagine this is eternity. Eternity, right? That's eternity. Long way to go. And everything you are rests right here. That little tip. Can you see the tip? Everything you're fighting for right now, everything you think is so important, your cortinas, your car, your, your, your couches, your, 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 your house, your children, your whatever it is, rests right here. And we fight for all this and forget about all that. Then you die and you have nothing over here. Oh, you had a lot of here. And you fought for a while. You were tightwad. Scrooge. Della Scrooge. And you fought for that. And you have nothing over here. Nothing. How are you living? Mm. So that's the question you got to ask. So how are you living? See, the first requirement to understand wealth is to remember that we leave everything. The book of Ecclesiastes tells that regardless, regardless of one's station in life, where they at uh, uh, socially on the ladder, uh, man accumulates nothing. It rot. It goes away. Huh? A person's wealth and possession amount to nothing at death. You can't cheat death. You can't postpone it. The Bible is clear. Is appointed. You have an appointment. You ever have an appointment for a doctor? You all have an appointment. It's already set. You can't do nothing about it. It's appointed once for a man to die. You have your appointment. That's why I used to trip out and be on airplanes, right? Now I don't trip out. Sam, no. I go, hey, I'd get on the plane. I go, Sam, come here, man. Is this a good airline? I mean, how, how the plane, they fly good? Because, you know, he's an airline mechanic, and he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, Pastor, it's a good one. I don't know if he was telling me the truth or lying just to make you feel good. But I had, well, the good mechanic, he was a good plane, good solo. Okay, okay, all right. I had to, you know, get my courage up to get on that plane. Because, uh, you know, I flew all over the way. I flew to Africa, I flew, and like, every time I get on that plane, I go, darn, I got to get on that plane again. Right? So I trip. And then it hit me one time with this. I have an appointment to die. So if, if, if I was, my appointment was to die on that plane and I was so afraid that I didn't get on the plane, because I don't want to get on that plane. 
you know, because I'm afraid of death. But if my appointment was to die on that plane, like I've said many times, God would turn that plane around and hit me on the ground. So you can't, if you're appointed to die on that plane, just get on it. Because if you're going to be on that plane and if you're not on it, you're going to make that plane come and search you down like a, like a heating, like a heat seeking missile. <laughs> Boom, why? Because it was your appointment to die. Can't change it. Huh? So don't worry about it. After that, I said, wow, cool. I'm sitting down. I've been, I've been on some crazy flights. Really crazy. Uh, aborted landings, two aborted landings coming down and aborted landing. And I'm like, cool. Well, if I'm appointed down, I'm going to die. Everybody's screaming. Ah! I mean, literally, people are screaming, yelling. And I'm like, you know, just cool, coming down. We're going to be okay. Why? Well, either if I, my, my appointment's to die, then we're all going down. <laughs> but if it's not, we're cool. And the plane pulled back up and we landed. See? Got back on another one. And I figured, well, and then my mind thinking, well, I'll never, ever be in another boarded landing again. I'll never say that again. <laughs> never say never. We had to bend again. This one was a little more scary. It was here in Colorado Springs. The plane went, and I go, whoa, that was heavy right there. And I, I, I tell, were you with me? Yeah. I go, we missed the runway. He looks at me, what? I go, we missed the runway. And as soon as I said that, she pulled it with a female pilot. Whoa, I go, whoa, that was heavy. We missed the runway. And we made it up. We come all the way back around and we landed. And now that one got me. I said, when we did that, I go, oh, Mr. Ron, I started praying, Father in heaven, I pray. <laughs> that got me. <laughs> but it was really funny because Johnny was with us too, huh? Johnny was with my other son. He was with us, and he was really praying. He was like repenting. I'm so sorry, God. I mean, he was like, he was really nervous. He said, Pop, Pop, when I seen you praying, I knew something was wrong. <laughs> oh, he was scared. Mm-hmm. But we all have appointment, and it doesn't matter. So with that in mind, I, you know, everything that happened, I go, hey, you know what? Comes and goes. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't impress me. These things, we use them, and in my mind, I use everything I have what for one reason, one thing, and one thing only. It's to reach people for Jesus. To reach your friends. To reach your mom, your dad, your aunt. To get another drug addict, a prostitute, anything. So everything I have is centered around that. That's my whole thought process. Okay, amen? amen. That's why Matthew 6, 29, 6, 19 says, Do, don't stare up, store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and still store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break and still wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I go back to here. See, my treasure is not here in, what, in this life where we own. Oh, my treasure is where? Here. And the Bible says, wherever your treasure is, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. So my treasure is here, not here. So everything I do is trying to store up treasures over here. So if I can spend all that I am, and I will spend all that I have, all that I can, I'll spend it so that I can see you in eternity. Because if I see you in eternity, and you're there, you're going to look at me, you're going to say, thank you for preaching to me. Why? Because I was more concerned with this. See, i got to get more of you concerned with this than this, this little life that we live in, that's so important. Got to have the latest and the greatest and the bestest of the newest. And so I can't tithe. Oh, let me get, I'm, let me get back. Oh, okay. 
Huh? So as we look into the New Testament, we see that God admonishes us not to store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. So how, how and we got to look at, and it's not really all our fault because the, the world kind of trains you to think a certain way, right? Because when you look at how people determine wealth, you have to look at history. People in their mind think that in the past civilization, they thought that wealth was the number of cattle you own or the camels you own, how much land you possessed, oil. In the early economy of the United States, wealth was related to how much land you own. If you had land, you land. And so people were driven to get land, get land, get land, get land, right? And people weren't preaching the gospel. It was just driven. So this whole generation was raised up with that ideal. Got to buy your land. Got to buy a house. Got to buy a house. So we think, and I'm not saying not to buy a house, but we get so engulfed by that, and we forget what's really important, that the eternity. Because that house is just good for a little time. Just a little bit. Hmm? See, later wealth began to change and went from land to things such as gold, silver, natural elements. And especially here in Colorado, there's gold in them bar hills, right? Then during the Industrial Revolution, after the farming really settled down, it was related to how much or uh, how one accumulated worldly goods. Or should I, can I put it like this? Money. So when people left the farm and left the ranch, now they're in the industrialized age and they're working at a, at a factory, at a plant, and whatever. So, so they weren't more so, so concerned with owning land or, or cattle or, or having a, a farm. No, they wanted money, 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 money. Can I sing again? Money, 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 money. Right? There's all kinds of, every generation has their money song. Right? Money can buy everything, it's true. But what it can buy, I can't use. I want money. That's what I want. That's what I want. Right? <laughs> that's, a, that's the old. And you have the, every generation, every genre, even Pink Floyd, right? Dun, 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 dun. Money. Right? It's a sin. He even said that, right, in the, in the song. So why? Because people are so enamored with money. 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 Right? And we think that's wealth. In today's economy, wealth is related to money. Position, also in today's economy, is, is a measure of one's wealth. Position, in other words, if you're a... And a politician. And you may not make a lot of money, but because of the, your position, you have power. Power is money. They'll make deals for you. They'll cut deals. Amen? Professionals, doctors, attorneys, dentists, other things. If your profession is considered wealthy because of their income potential. If I go to school to, to be a doctor, and then you can go 10 years, whatever, 8 years to be a doctor. I can come right out of school, have $200,000 in debt, because that's what it'll take you to become a doctor. You come right out of school, walk into a bank, and say, I just graduated from Stanford or whatever medical school. I have $200,000 in debt, and I want to borrow a million dollars. They'll say, sign right here. Here you go. Why? Because of their profession, their potential, their income potential They'll give you the money just based on your education. So education is wealth if you use it right. Right? So 
we have this picture, and then here I am as a pastor trying to say, that's not as important. Everything that you've been taught, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that everything that we've been taught that is more important, we look at those things, and I'm saying, don't do it. See how hard my, my, my job is? Because history has taught that. Society has taught that. Everybody's taught that. What I just said is the most important thing to do. The battle continues, rages for your loyalties. Where your treasure is. Hello, somebody. See, creation and, and, and use of wealth, when you think about that, based on our attitude, we determine what our wealth can create. And that's what we're talking about. Because I'm not saying you, you want to be poor. No, 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 no. But it's your attitude. What are you focused on? I, again, let me get back to my analogy. What are you focused on? Your attitude. Are you focused on this little part of your life? Or you you focus on eternity? No, God wants us to live good. Believe me, he does. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have the best. With a head, not a tail. He doesn't want you to be some poor, pauper, begging. No, 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 I'm not saying that. But you have to have the proper attitude towards it. Because some people are just selfish. Can I say that again? Some people just, all they care about is themselves. Me, myself, and I. Right? And it's those type of people, believe me, have no place in eternity. See, wealth can be used to spread God's word, build hospitals, churches, feed the poor, take care of orphans. That guy, um, he was a quarterback for the Broncos, what's his name? Um, no, no, the quarterback, they, they, they fired him. No. Tebow, thank you. This is Peyton Manny. This guy over here. He must be from Nebraska. Peyton, uh, Tebow, right? Tim Tebow. You know, we all know he's a Christian, got persecuted for being a Christian, right? And I was, I was watching him, and this is ironic, very ironic, because God speaks to me. You know how we're, we're going to Davao, right? We're going to the city. Tim Tebow built a hospital in the city of Davao. Why? And I'm reading this, and the reason he built this, we're talking about he's got his wealth. He said, I'm building this hospital in Davao because my mother and, and father were in the Philippines as missionaries. She got pregnant, and the doctor said to abort the baby because it would, it would, um, she, her life was in danger. And she said, no, I'm not going to abort the baby. I'm going to keep the baby, and we're going to believe God that the baby's going to be held. That baby became Tebow, the quarterback. So he goes back to the Philippines and he takes his wealth and he builds a hospital. Huh? See, it's not the wealth that's the problem. It's the person that's the problem. What's your attitude toward this? Because wealth cannot be a blessing like that or wealth could also be corruptive. It could corrupt you. Right? Oh, wealth, wealth will corrupt. I always say wealth is a magnifier. See, if you're a good person, wealth will magnify how good you are. But if you're a pervert, maniaco, wealth will magnify it. You, why? Because you have all this money. You can do anything you want. And wealth will magnify. What are you? See, some of you, I'm going to tell you, because inside God knows who you are, and you're not competent, but God knows, he's keeping you poor. Because if he gave you more money, you would run amok. Oh, yes, sir. Look at your neighbor and say, is he talking about me? 
<laughs> Hello, someone. And see, what, what I'm trying to do is try to say you need the right heart so that when God wants to bless you, he will. Because he knows you have the right heart, you have the right attitude, and if he gives you more, you're not going to run amok. You're going to have the right attitude with what God gives you. Hmm? See, Christians, wealth is what God entrusts to each of us. Now, from the world's perspective, the creation of wealth revolves around and includes self-will, the world, just me, self-will. How much can I get? What can I do? You know, I want to build my empire. That's how the world moves. How much self-control, how much willpower, how much do I have to, to devote to, to gain this? It's all personal. We have a, now, like I'm not trying to talk politics, but uh, the gentleman, two, the two people running for, for office, wealthy, right? You have Hillary or we could call her Billary and Donald Trump. But they're, 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 all they are, they're both very, very self-centered. Right? I mean, come on. It, it, it'd be like, you know, uh, Sam all of a sudden got wealthy. And everywhere we walk, we'd see Ortero Shopping Center, Ortero Apartment Complex, Ortero Car... I mean, you know... Although that's a cool name, we don't want to see it, but, you know, we don't care. But Trump, you know, Trump, 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 Trump. What is it? Me, 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 me. The same with Hillary, I mean Hillary, same thing. They use their power, their position, right, to gain influence. Why? To make more money. Hundreds of millions and billions of dollars coming to them. Do you, because they care for us? So how are we going to use wealth? What are we going to do with it? Hmm? Individuals who spend their lives chasing money end up frustrated and miserable. Well, you can chase it. Go ahead. After this message, you can say, I don't want to hear it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, that's all right. Go ahead with your bad self. And when you're tired of it and you're sniveling and crying, we'll take you back sniveling and crying. Chew on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Money. See, worldly folklore surrounding money, and, and there's a lot kind of sayings because people they make up sayings, right? And, and people say, "Well, it, it takes a break to get ahead." You ever hear that? Right? Whoever gets the best break is the one who gets ahead because really, and they're they're selfish and they just want to make money, and and they re, and they're trying to justify why they can't make money. So they're, it takes a break to get ahead. And then or other people, it takes money to make money. Meaning, if you have money, you can make more money. Since I have no money, I can't make no money. Or, or you can't be too honest to get ahead today. In other words, you're supposed to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead to make more money. These are the things that the world teaches. Why? Because they know that inherently people are selfish, and that's all they want. None of these are God's principles. In fact, they are nonsense put up by those who seek to rationalize their behavior. Nonsense. The creation of wealth. I mean, God created everything. The Bible is clear. He said, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And when the writer was writing that, he was trying to emphasize that God has all wealth. Everything is his, Right? So the creation of wealth is a gift or a talent. With these gifts and talents, if you have the right attitude 
Or if, if you don't have the right attitude, then you're going to hustle, bustle, jive, and connive to get money. And let me let you in on something. If you're a good conniver, you can make money if that's all you want. My, my dad was always say this all the time when I was young, and I never get it. But he would always say, is any fool can make money. He always say that. Any fool can make money. Any fool can make money. Any fool can make money. I go, what are you, what are you saying, Dad? He goes, but it takes a wise man to use it well. So we get caught up. We're going to jive a knife. And God said, no, no, no. Follow God's principles and you watch. You don't have to go after the wealth. The wealth will hunt you down when you follow God's principles. Right? See, in God's plan, it's attitude, not aptitude that he honors. It's your attitude with God. The gaining the wealth as an end in itself is a poor investment in your life. If all you can do is work your whole life to gain wealth, that's a poor investment. You'll retire and die. The average lifespan of a person who's worked all their life after they've retired is about six years. Isn't that crazy? They work all their life, have all this money, and they die. You know who's happy? Their nephew or their, their kids or something. Because they can, they can squander all the money, all the hard work that you did, boom, gone. And I've seen it in my family. You've probably seen it in your family. Somebody died, they hand the money down, and the kids just blow it. They blow it all. Why? Because they weren't following God's principles. They lived their life for the wrong reasons. I want to live my life for the right reasons. I want God to, to, to look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come in. Huh? What, what's your attitude? Huh? Again, the gain of wealth as an end in itself is a poor investment of a life. So this required a great deal of time, the virtual exclusion of everything else if you're going to make money. Listen, I can, any fool can make money. But if you're going to make money, I'm, I'm telling you how to do it uh, the worldly way. You're going to have to cut your family, cut your friends, cut your hobbies, don't relax, and get busy. You want to make money? That's how you do it. How do I know? Because I did it. And that's a waste of a life. But so many people will do that. And they'll justify it. Well, I'm working extra hard because, you know, I'm bringing home the bacon. Listen, husband, your wife doesn't like bacon. She wants you. And what it is, but it's a man justifying himself, justifying his selfishness by saying, well, I'm taking care of my family. Yeah, you keep doing like that and you don't spend time with them, you'll have all this bacon and no family to feed it to. Some other dude will be raising your kids. And we see that all the time. Why? Because they focus on the wrong things. They're not focusing on God. Training them in the way they should go. And let me say this. There is no correlation between wealth and joy. In other words, the more wealth you get doesn't mean the more happy you get. There's no correlation. Joy is irrespective of wealth. Huh? Money can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. No, 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 no. Amen? So you got to have the right attitude. And, and God, when, and you'll see Christians that are following the right principles, they get, they're blessed, they're blessed, they're blessed, they're blessed. Don't get disturbed by that. Just learn from them and do what they do. Don't get jealous. 
Why? Because I'm going to tell you something. If we're going to reach a world, listen, if we're going to reach a world, I need Christians here who have the right attitude about money, have the right attitude about their family, have the right attitude about God to be in this church that are wealthy. I, you know, I, I love poor people, but be, be honest, I would rather drive in a nice Lexus than a beat up, you know, Honda. You're right? Oh, can I say that again? You're going to look at me like a cross-eyed. What do you mean? So God doesn't care about that, what you drive or how much you have. He cares about how you use it. And the people that use it the best for his honor and glory, believe me, God will begin to pour more and pour more. So I need wealthy people here. Why do you think I'm talking about wealth? I need you to know how to make money. I need you to know how to run a business and stay saved and don't sin. Because some of you can run a business, but as soon as you get busy in your business, you backslide. You get high. Start chasing chicks because, you know, you're a businessman. You roll like that. I've seen it. You've seen it. Huh? You get caught up. So we need to reach wealthy people. Why? Because Satan is a prince of this world. If all we do is reach the poor, then we are sending some extremely talented people to hell. If all we do is reach the poor and drug addicts, uh, we want to reach the drug addict, but come on, folks. I like, to, I like to reach the person who owns the tallest building downtown. Get that brother saved. Now why? Because then we can do more. We can operate more if they have the right attitude. Well, I like to get Trump saved. All you need to give me one tithe. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Boy, we'll plant churches all over the place. Amen. We'll put a rehab home right next to Tebow's hospital. That's what we do. Huh? See, Proverbs 10, 22 reads like this. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. Can I say it again? The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. See, that, there's the distinction. Because you can get blessed, and it, can, it could be the devil. And most believers, most people in this world, get blessed by the devil, not by God. How can you tell? Because you can see these believers come with these big paychecks, nice things, but you look at what they're giving to God, and it's nothing. You think God's giving that to you, really? If all you do is spend it on yourself? You think God's giving it to you? Listen, God is not stupid. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he's looking for people who understand his plan and purpose so he can bless them. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. And he adds no trouble. That's the clue. If you have wealth and you have trouble with it, then I don't think it was God. Like it's like those people who win the lottery. You always hear about the people that win the lottery. They're most miserable. Their family hates them. They're running and hiding. They become addicted. Their lives are a shadow. Why? Because here's all this money dropped on them, and they don't have the right attitude with it. And the world takes them, takes, takes them advantage of them. Proverbs 10, 22, in the living, New Living Translation, reads like this. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And that's the key. I want to be wealthy, but I don't want sorrow with it. Because some people will, will sell their soul for wealth. I just want this. And we've seen it. Actors, uh, movie star, right? Uh, uh, musicians selling their soul for fame and fortune. And you think they have no sorrow? Hmm? What's that great singer that drowned herself in the tub getting high? 
Hmm? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But that's on, it, it go on and on and on. So many drug addicts uh, or rich people killing themselves. Why? You think they're getting high? Because they're not, they're miserable. When I was growing up, you had everybody dying. You know, Janice Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, all OOD, just dying left and right, boom, 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 boom. And they had, they had it all, money. They couldn't even count their money. But it didn't bring them happiness. It brought them sorrow. So I want wealth, but I, I don't want the sorrow that accompanies the worldly wealth. I want God's blessing. So how do you have wealth without worry? Wealth being our money, our families, our creative abilities. Everything we have acquired since we arrived and everything we must leave when we go. I'm talking about wealth. I mean, our money is temporary, but I'm talking more than that. Right? We, how, do you handle, how do you use it? See, again, you got to use it as if you were being evaluated. Again, let me get back here. Where's my time? Where's my rope? I'll use this one. Oh, I'll put it over there. Well, thank you. I was going to take apart another mic. You got to use your wealth over here. Here's your wealth. You got to use your wealth with this in mind, with eternity. If your heart is over here, then your treasure will be, will be will affect it. But if your heart is just here, then your treasure will just affect this. And anything you buy and use here does not affect this. The only thing that affects eternity are souls. Ironically, the only thing that affects eternity is you. Because that's what God wants, is people's lives. People's lives changed. So how do you use wealth? And the more, listen, Pastor Sonny, he amazes me. I look at him, people say, man, Pastor Sonny, this guy's got a private jet. Bad jet. They're all, see, there he, look, he's got his jet. No, no, listen, you don't understand something here. I've been on his jet. In fact, we're in Denver, I'm going to drive by, drive back here. And he goes, Al, I need you, I want to have lunch with you. Oh, okay, I want you to ride with me. Okay, where are we going? We're going to go to Colorado Springs. Oh, okay, I have my car. He goes, and so, but you know, but give your car to somebody. I don't even know who drove it back. Give, maybe Larry or somebody drove it back. Give, give the car to them. Why? You're going to be with me. So I go with him, and I go into his jet. And he flew from Denver to here. There's a bad plane right here. Right? And so I'm thinking, I'm sitting here, and God is speaking to me. Because Sonny had no problem with wealth. Years ago, from, you don't know the story, and I'm coming in for a landing, I promise. Years ago, a man by, uh, who owned TBN, Paul Crouch, you know who Paul Crouch is, right? He had eight, eight, yeah, eight failing TV stations. In fact, he didn't want them no more. He just, they were failing, they were making no money. And he tried to get rid of him, but nobody would buy him. So he, he Pastor Sonny and Nikki were in his one of his programs doing his thing, and he and he actually gave eight TV stations to Pastor Sonny and Nikki Cruz. You can have them. Pastor Sonny turned eight failing TV stations into about twenty. Grew it up. Just did they grew it? Just started prospering. Why? Because God bless God's blessings on Pastor Sonny. So the failing station became prof profitable and making money. So now Paul Crouch says, hey, I want those stations back. But he, you know, he, he was honorable. He goes, not just take them back. He goes, I'll buy them back from you. So Pastor Sonny and Nick get millions of dollars. So before he sold it, 
while the time that he was making these TV stations more profitable, he was giving hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to Victory Outreach from the profits of the TV station. So he didn't care about the money. He, he took all that to help build what we see today. It took one man with the right attitude with money to help build what we see all over the globe. One man. And God keeps blessing him. Isn't that amazing? So I look at that, I go, that's what I want. Right there. Not the jet, but I'll take the jet, but I want that attitude. <laughs> if when God's blessed with everything I get to put it in, because God will give you more and give you more and give you more. Now, people don't know that, that story for the most part. When they see Pastor Sonny on a jet, they go, how could he do that? God gave it to him, literally gave it to him. He sells a TV station, makes all this money. Again, he sold it back to the person who gave it to him in the first place. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> What's your attitude about money? Hmm? What's your attitude about money? Let me, I'm going to end with this. Somebody said, end with anything. Myths about money and spirituality. And I can't get through all of them because I'm running out of time. But poverty, and this is a myth. Some people say, poverty is next to spirituality. That's a lie. Poverty does not make you more spiritual. It makes you poor. Yep. Right? And if you're too poor, it makes you hungry. <laughs> right? If you're too poor, it makes you wear lousy clothes. Amen? And you're <laughs> wearing those cheap shoes that make your feet sweat. You know what I'm talking about. We all wore them before, Right? I used to do that. My mom taught me well. She goes, oh, my mom would always tell me this. You spend a lot of money on your shoes and you spend a lot of money on your bed. Because you can always be on your feet and you're going to sleep two-thirds of your life on a bed. Spend extra money on your bed and extra money on your shoes and for the rest, don't worry about it. So don't make your feet sweat. Amen? <laughs> no, there is no inherent virtue in poverty. There are dishonest poor people and there are dishonest rich people. So... Poverty doesn't make you more spiritual. God never impoverished anyone because he wanted to make him more spiritual. No. Sometimes being impoverished means just in a certain country you were built in, uh, born in. But he never did it to make you more spiritual. In other words, oh, I'm going through, I'm losing everything because God wants me more spiritual. Shut up. That's not true. Amen? God never once relates spirituality to poverty. That's a myth. So don't buy into it. In fact, God lifts the production of money as a spiritual gift. See, God condemns the misuse or the preoccupation with money, not the money itself. Amen? Second myth, money brings happiness. That's another myth. We talked about that. Money does not bring happiness. There's no relationship between money and being happy. Right? What money can do is postpone your happiness, uh, your sadness. In other words, you're sad... So you go preoccupy your time. So you don't think about your pain. And you, you, if you have money, you can pre, uh, well, postpone your pain, but it's still there. When you come down, it's waiting for you. Only God can take away the pain that hurts the heart of a man, the heart of a woman. Amen? First Timothy 6, 17 reads, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Again, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Let me read it again. I like the way it sounds. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives 
us all we need for our enjoyment. See, God wants us to enjoy life. He does. And he knows what we like to do. We like to enjoy life. He knows we like to go watch a football game, right? He knows you like to watch a basketball. He ain't tripping off that. We should do these things, but we should not exclude the work of God for those things. That's the difference. Because I like going out there. I'm going to look, I'm going to enjoy myself this when the football season starts and the Raiders come to the Denver and they beat them. I'm going to have fun. See, he with me. <laughs> the Bronco fans are, well, that's fun, right? We can have that. I, I enjoy, I, I, it's hard to get to a basketball game, especially a Warrior game with the Dubs you know, in Oakland. I've been there years ago, but right now, man, they've been sold out. But I would love, I love to go to those things. But I would forfeit all that if I had to do something for God. I really would. I could not, that's not important. I got to do this. God will provide another time. But some, most people will forfeit the things of God, church service, a Bible study for these things. And they do it continually. And they'll forfeit all that for these things. And then when they're in trouble, they say, oh God, come help me. They go back to the genie syndrome. Oh, God, I need your help. Rubbing the lamp. And when God doesn't show up, they get mad at God. Well, why did God let this happen? Why, why, why? Why? Because you're a tight wire. You don't give. You're unfaithful. That's why it happened. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. Wow. Calm down, Albert. Amen. (laughs) See, to be wealthy is not a sin. No. When God finds someone, I'm going to end with this, with a proper attitude, he blesses them with great riches. Proper attitude. God gave Abraham riches. He was the wealthiest man of his day. Job, who went through hell, he blessed them. He said Job had more in the second half of his life than he did on the first half. The wealthiest man of his day. God's not concerned with that. He's concerned with Job's heart. He was concerned with with Abraham's heart. He's concerned with your heart. That's what he's concerned with. And the problem is our heart is driven by wealth. It's not driven by God. My prayer as we go through these things is that we correct the attitude about wealth. Luke 12, I'm going to finish with this. Then he said to them, Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tell down my barn and build a bigger one. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And here's a catch in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God.